I want to find out if anyone here is like me. Who hates to lose? Raise your hand if you hate to lose. Okay, some of you. Who's sitting next to somebody who hates to lose? <laughs> Equally passionate, maybe more so. I don't like losing. I still remember one of my first dates with Jen. It might have been our first date to check with her. We're playing air hockey, and I was determined to beat her at all costs. I'm smashing that puck. It's flying across the room. It's hitting her. Not a great first impression, uh, but I was so competitive. I must win at everything, you know? I can even still remember as a high schooler how frustrated I would be if I lost a soccer game. I'd be so angry, you know, blame the defense, that kind of thing, but just don't like to lose. No one likes to lose. Yet loss is a part of life. And as we go throughout life, there are far greater losses than just athletic endeavors, right? This morning, we're going to talk about a loss that Jesus actually calls us to. It's not a loss that's a byproduct of living in this fallen world, but rather it's a decision that we make, and it's actually a requirement for those that say they love Jesus Christ. Here's the truth this morning. Loving means losing. Loving means losing. So to explore this, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 10. You can turn there in the Word of God with me, Matthew chapter 10. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, and you're going to want to find the big number 10. That's chapter, small number 34, verse 34. We've been studying the book of Matthew and this series of seeking the kingdom. And so today our theme is the demand of the kingdom. Last week, Pastor Steve shared with us, and you might remember, he had two main points, right? He told us that love is our greatest obligation. We're commanded by God to love him. To what extent? With all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. With our whole being. But the problem that we talked about was we're sinful people. And so because of our sin, we don't love God like we should. We have this bent to love ourselves more than we love God. And so God has to give us a new heart. God has to give us a new mind. And once God gives us this new heart, we love God because we want to, not just because we have to. And so Pastor Steve shared with us that love is our greatest opportunity. It's our greatest obligation and our greatest opportunity. Now, a lot of people would say they love Jesus, right? Like if you pulled people on the street, I think you'd get a pretty high percentage of people that would say, yeah, I love Jesus. And if we had, at all four campuses of Bethel, if we took a raise of hands, do you love Jesus? How many hands do you think would be raised? Probably 3,000, right? Probably almost every hand would go up. But would every single person, is it true that they are a disciple of Jesus Christ? Is it true that they actually are a Christ follower? What is the evidence that we have this supernatural heart that Pastor Steve talked about, that beats and that pumps for Jesus? What's the evidence of that, that we actually love Jesus, that we love him supremely? Well, in Matthew chapter 10, we see that loving means losing. So I want to read with you chapter 10, verse 34 to 39. So go ahead and look at your text here. We're going to read this together. Matthew chapter 10, follow along as I read 34 through 39. This is in the context of Jesus sending his disciples out on a mission, and he promises them that persecution will come. 
And he tells them not to have fear, verses 26 through 23. Do not fear man, but fear God. And then we come to verse 34 through 39. Jesus' words, do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take Uh, And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Verse 38, and whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Loving means losing. Matthew likes this language of losing and finding. He says whoever loses his life will find it. Luke, he uses a little different language. He says, whoever loses his life will save it, or whoever loses his life will preserve it. That's what Luke says. But this word losing is interesting. It's not just a losing like I lost my keys, right? This word losing is a pretty intense word. It means something is being destroyed. It means perishing. It's the same word used back in verse 28 if you glanced back in this chapter, the word destroy. We're supposed to fear God because he can destroy the body and the soul. That's the word, lose, destroy. So does this mean that when we come to Jesus Christ, everything in our life must be destroyed, that Christ is going to take everything away from us? I remember growing up in a church where we would periodically, I think every year, have evangelists come through. And these evangelists would challenge us, especially as teens, to get rid, rid of all of our rock and roll CDs, right? So this tells you what era I'm from. I'm from the CD age, right? Not the eight-track record, not the iPods in, the, in there. I distinctly remember at least a couple times my buddy and I, Dan, going to his house because he had a plethora of CDs, okay? And we would take those CDs and we would smash them with hammers and we'd throw them against walls there goes you too. There goes Led Zeppelin. Things getting crushed left and right. And uh, this was the, the era of BMG Music Club. So what he'd do is a week later, he'd just order them all again, right? And then we'd do it the next time the evangelist came through town. Some of you have been there. Is that what we're talking about here? Is that what we're talking about, giving up, being destroyed? Not exactly. There are going to be blatantly sinful things in our life that we must get rid of when we follow Christ. But even more than that, as Jesus' disciple, he's calling us to surrender everything, to just lay it all at his feet, including our very life if necessary. But we want to get specific this morning because Jesus' words are specific in this text. What are we being called to surrender? What is Jesus asking us to lose? Well, let's start with family. The first couple of verses you might have noticed are about family. Verse 34 through 37, and if you were to glance back to verses 21 through 22, we didn't read that, but it also speaks about family. Now, family is a big part of life, right? I mean, from the moment that we're born till the day that we die, our family relationships are the most influential relationships that we have. And that's why family strife is so discouraging, so disheartening to us. Haven't we all been in at least one family gathering that was awkward and there was tension and there was fighting and maybe we had to have a conference for the whole family to get together? But some of you have experienced far more than awkwardness in your family. 
Some of you have had children rebel and turn against you. Some of you have had a marriage disintegrate because of spiritual incompatibility. And I imagine some of you have probably even seen family ties severed because of your commitment to the gospel, your commitment to Jesus Christ. And loving surrender to Christ will, at times, strain some family relationships. And some of us, we're, like, we're peacemakers. We, we don't like that. We, want, we just want to, everyone to get along. We want there to be peace in the family. But losing, family, losing peace in a family is not desirable, but it's going to happen sometimes. It may be necessary because nothing is more important than to surrender to Jesus Christ. Nothing, not even family. Before I go on, I want to challenge you, warn you, don't play the role of martyr or don't jump to false conclusions. Like, I love Jesus. My family's really angry with me. It must be because I love Jesus that my family is really angry with me. Well, that might be the case, or it could just be that you're being a jerk right now, okay? But it could be that you love Jesus, and that is causing a wedge. That is causing tension in your relationships. I know that many a parent finds themselves discouraged because they're trying to guide, and they're trying to shepherd their teen child and lead them to Jesus, but their shepherding is not appreciated, right? It's even spurned, and sometimes teens get really angry with their parents when they're trying to love Jesus and lead them to Jesus. It would be a lot easier, parents, to just let our kids get whatever they want, you know? Some parents do that because it's just easier. But I remind you that we're not called to please our children. We're called to please Jesus. And so we obey him and we love Jesus. And at times, that's going to displease your children. Don't be surprised. If you try to please Jesus, there's going to be times when you displease your children. It may even drive a wedge in there. But make sure that it's actually your love for Jesus and not unreasonable or ungodly parenting. Remember, loving means losing. To love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, we must be willing to lose even the most precious relationships, the most precious things that we have. And I'll be real vulnerable with you. I'll be really honest. One of my deepest fears is that one of my kids one day will not follow Jesus, that they will grow up, throw off this idea of faith, and not love Jesus. I, I, I think about that. Can anyone identify with me? I mean, that's a, that's a real valid fear that, that my children will not follow Jesus, will not love Jesus, and that will drive a wedge between us. What we have to do, parents, is we have to give them over to the Lord. We have to say, God, they're yours, and I commit them to you, and I can't make them love Jesus, but I leave them in your hands. God is asking us to even be willing to give our kids to him, not to love our kids or our family relationships more than him. How about the relationship between a husband and a wife? Most strife in a marriage is because of selfishness, not Christ-likeness. I believe, I think teacher scripture, uh, scripture teaches us this, that if a man will love his wife and take up his cross and sacrifice himself for her, which Scripture commands us to do, I believe he's going to be even more attractive to his wife in most cases, and vice versa. But there could be times when the call to follow Jesus leads to the unraveling of a marriage. Loving means losing. Perhaps there's someone here in a dating relationship, and you're kind of concerned because your affections for Jesus are not shared by that significant other. And I want you this morning to let the weight of this passage weigh upon you because you should be concerned. 
Jesus says that he must take precedence over every other relationship, even the most dear relationships in our life. And we must be willing to lose all in order to love him. Whoever loves father or mother or son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me, Jesus says. And I know some that once they've committed to Jesus Christ, their family has distanced themselves from them a little bit. I've even seen students come through uh, the student ministry that I served at, and as they became closer to Christ, as they grew in their faith, their parents started to kind of back away a little bit. It made them very uncomfortable. You know, my kid like, like wants to be a crazy Jesus person. And I've seen that cause tension. I've seen parents get upset with their kids. Maybe some of you, your family's even disowned you because of your love for Jesus, because of your faith. And I want you to take heart today because you are in really good company. You are following in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. The bottom line is this, who do we value more? Is it our kids? Is it our spouse? Is it our family? Is it our grandkids? Or is it Jesus Christ? We must love Jesus more. And in order to surrender our family to Jesus, we have to believe that Jesus is worth more, that he is greater, that he is more lovely than our kids are, that, that he is more awesome than our family. We just got done a family series, right, in the beginning of this year. We focused on, on marriage and we focused on parenting and all of these things. And one of the risks that you run when you focus on the family, no offense to James Dobson, is that it could in, inadvertently make an idol out of our family. We could so obsess about being just the right parent. We could so obsess about being the perfect husband, the perfect wife, to the neglect of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I think we were trying to be cognizant of that as we talked through that series. But if you focus on your kids or you focus on your spouse or you focus on your family to the exclusion of your relationship with Christ, you may end up finding your life and actually losing it. So we must be willing to lose even our family. What else does Jesus talk about? What else must, be we, what must we be willing to lose? How about comfort, safety, or pleasure? Verse 38, you see this, right? Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. There's nothing comfortable, safe, or pleasurable about a cross. Now, these words might seem shocking to us, but I promise you they were more shocking to the disciples. How do I know that? Well, to us, the cross is a beautiful thing. I mean, we just had this communion service where we focused on the cross of Jesus Christ. And in the cross, we see hope and we see salvation. And there's a beauty in the cross. We're used to seeing people wear gold crosses around their necks. And as kids, you know, we make crosses out of popsicle sticks in Sunday school because the cross of Jesus has hope to us. It's a beautiful thing. But I can promise you with almost 100% certainty that no Jewish children were making crosses out of popsicle sticks. They didn't have popsicles. But even still, they would never do that because we see the beauty in the cross. The average Jew only saw a ruthless torture device. The Romans had perfected the art of torture and their crowning achievement was the cross was crucifixion. In fact, it wasn't too many years before this, when Jesus said these words, that this man named Judas, not the disciple, but a different Judas who was an insurrectionist, stirred up a bunch of trouble. And the Romans got, got word of it. The Romans very quickly squelched that. And it led to the crucifixion of 2,000 Jews at one time. 
that historians say that for miles on this main road, on either side, there were Jews being crucified. And I want you to imagine that as the disciples are hearing these words, I want you to realize the weight that the disciples must have felt when Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. And keep in mind, Jesus hadn't even died on the cross yet. So this might have seemed kind of odd, definitely extreme. But the point was clear. You've got to give it all up. You have to relinquish everything to follow Jesus. Loving means losing. As Americans, we have rights, don't we? At the very least, we have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But how do these fundamental rights, this fundamental mantra of our country, how does that square with Jesus' words here? I mean, look at the text. To surrender these rights, doesn't it seem kind of un-American? Dare I say, unhuman? Most of us have studied Maslow's hierarchy of needs back in gen psych or high school, right? Remember that? Maslow came up with this pyramid. At the very bottom, the very base needs of a human being are physiological. Need to eat and sleep and shelter and these kind of things. And then comes safety. And then above safety is love and belonging. Jesus doesn't seem real concerned with violating Maslow's hierarchy, does he? And to be sure, he's creator. He knows the needs that we have better than Maslow did. He knew it before Maslow figured it out. And yet Jesus is calling us in this text to give up these basic rights. It, it, it kind of attacks these rights. I mean, the cross, think about the cross. Doesn't that attack our physiological needs, our safety, our comfort? To surrender our family, I mean, that's, that's love, that sense of belonging, One of the most basic needs that we feel as humans is the right to live or the innate desire to live. And there's all kinds of examples of this. I I remember reading a while back about a man from Pennsylvania who was caught in the woods. He He was cutting down trees. He got caught under a limb. This went on for several hours. He couldn't get out. He feared that he would die. His name was Donald Wyman. He was cutting trees in a rural area about 90 miles northeast of Pittsburgh when a large tree rolled onto his left leg, trapping him. So after shouting for over an hour, Wyman said he was bleeding profusely and he feared he would die. So you know what he did, right? He applied a tourniquet to his leg and using his pocket knife, skip the gory details, he took care of the situation. He severed his leg in order to get out of there. Then he crawled to his bulldozer 500 feet away. He drove it about 2,000 feet to his pickup truck which was manual transmission, by the way, and then he drove his pickup truck two miles to the home of a local farmer. That story tells me two things. One, people from Pennsylvania are tough, right? In case you don't know I'm from Pennsylvania, but I'm, I'm not so sure I could do that. I'm honest, I don't think I could do that. And that there is an incredible innate desire for us to live, right? We want to live, and so when Jesus calls us to take up our cross and to die, there's something inside of us that I don't want to die. I don't want to give up my rights. I don't want to experience pain. I want to experience pleasure. Yet Jesus tells us that following him and obeying him is going to be painful. It's going to be painful and it's going to cost us something. Matthew 5.29 is a really powerful verse and I want you just to think about this as I read it. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body 
be thrown into hell. And Jesus actually also says, cut off your right hand if necessary. What's Jesus' point? He's not calling us to physical amputation here, but he is saying that we have to be willing to lose or destroy anything. No matter how dear it is, nothing is more valuable than Jesus Christ. Nothing. And I wonder if we grasp the demand of the kingdom. Do we really get it? I mean, some of us need to take sin more seriously. It's not just a proclivity or a faux pas. It's not just a mistake. It's rebellion against a holy God. And God is telling us to do whatever is necessary to, to lose this sin, to give up this rebellion. Hebrews 12.4, you won't see this on the screen, but God's word says this, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted until the point of shedding blood. So we all have work yet to do. We all can still surrender things to Christ. Over the years, I've ministered to a lot of young teen and young adult young men, right? And one of the things I've seen that's been most difficult for young men to lose, to give up, is their sexual freedom. I once had a college-aged student come to me and say, you know, Mark, I could give up anything for Jesus except sex. Can't do that. Can't do it. And that's not just young men. Young women struggle with this. Adult men and women struggle with this. And I'm wondering if there might be somebody here today who's actually on the fence because you're saying to yourself, I just don't know if following Jesus is worth giving up my sexual freedom. Like, I'm being honest here, I'm just not sure that it's worth that. Many adults today believe that they have the right to view whatever they want on the internet. To watch pornography, they believe that's their right. And to imagine giving up that, they, they can't. Some people would rather sever their leg with a pocket knife than sever sexual sin from their life. Loving means losing. The Apostle Paul said this in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. George Lath said this, cross-bearing involves the question of lordship, rulership, of kingship. Christ cannot rule my life until I count myself dead, crucified. There can be only one ruler in my life, self or Christ. When I take up my cross and die, Christ can rule. Are we really seeking the kingdom? I mean, we talk about this series, Seeking the Kingdom, right? And it, it was all fine and good in the beginning of the year when we were talking about being a better husband and being a better father and mother, and now it's starting to get uncomfortable. <laughs> like, now we're being asked to, to die. Take up your cross are you really seeking the kingdom? As we come here every Sunday and we talk about this, understand what the demand is. This is what God's calling us to do. And that's what the baptisms last week portrayed, wasn't it? I mean, when somebody gets baptized and they go under the water, what they're saying is, I give up my life. I surrender my whole life. I'm dead and I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm, I'm raised to life and I live for Jesus Christ. That's what I do. 
Loving Jesus means surrendering family, comfort, safety, and pleasure. Last thing this morning, we need to be willing to lose our ambition. Our ambition. Verse 39. Now, when Jesus tells his disciples that they are to take up their cross, follow him, to lose their life, what is he saying but that the disciples are supposed to relinquish their thoughts about their life, their dreams, their aspirations, and instead take upon themselves Jesus' dreams, Jesus' aspirations, Jesus' ambition, and go wherever Jesus goes. His path is our path. His ambition is our ambition. And notice I'm not saying that Christians should have no ambition, right? Christians should be the most ambitious of all. But we can't miss one important thing here. That's that we take our ambition, our dreams, our hopes, and we let them die and be buried with Christ so that we can learn his ambition, so that we can take his desires and we can learn what that means. It's really a lifelong adventure of discovering what is the ambition of Christ? What does he want me to do? What is his will today, not my will? In the Gospel of Luke, we read some words of Jesus very similar to our text. And I find it interesting that Jesus continues to repeat this this idea of taking up his cross, us taking up our cross. It's as if it's important. It's something we're supposed to really contemplate. Luke 9 says, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. Notice that word daily and follow me. I think it's important to note that Luke says it's a daily process. You know, because if you're like me, you read this text and it's convicting. And it's kind of concerning because not every day do I take up my cross very well. Some days I just, I want to please myself more than I want to please God. And so he's telling us daily, this must be done. This isn't a once and done thing. This isn't a throw a stick in the fire and you're good the rest of your life. Some of you know what I'm talking about, this campfire dedications, they're good. This is every day picking up my cross and saying, I'm going to be, I'm going to be dead to what I want and I'm going to do what Christ wants me to do. It's a daily process. So if you're struggling a little bit, if you're wondering, it's okay. I'm there too. Just know that if you're in Christ, you're secure. But daily we must do this. Every day. So I ask you, what are your ambitions? What is it that drives you, that is the primary motive of your life? What is that? For some, maybe it's money or a career. Matthew 6, 24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Remember the rich young ruler? I don't know if you remember that narrative in Scripture, but this man came to Jesus, and he basically said what that college student said to me. Jesus, I can give everything to you except my possessions. I can't do that. And the text says that he walked away from Jesus, lost, without Jesus. Maybe it's not money, maybe it's not a career, maybe it's the prominence or approval of others. You want people to think a certain way of you, your reputation. That's what drives you. And so many people are spending their entire life trying to win the approval of others, trying to be worthy in somebody else's eyes. I want to talk for just a second to young people, to teens, children, if you're on the younger side of life, I know it's hard. I know it's really hard. Like, there's a lot of pressure put on you. 
young girls, you're supposed to be really thin and really beautiful and look like the cover girl, girls, peoples, whatever. You're supposed to look a certain way. Guys, you're supposed to have really cool hair and really awesome shoes and, and a bunch of pairs of awesome shoes. And there's, there's all these pressures put on you to look a certain way, to act a certain way. Social media makes it worse. It amplifies it. And I just want to challenge you. In this stage of life where you're trying to find out who am I, what am I all about, you're attempting to find your life. But beware because you could find your life and lose it all the same, as the text says. Finding the approval of others, finding that popularity, but in the end, losing what's really important. Because in the end, the only one's approval that matters is your creator. And he said that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. So I want you to let that image, that image of yourself that you try to project, project, yeah, the word, (laughs) yeah, that's it, show to other people, the, the version of yourself that you post on Instagram, I want you just to let that die. You have to let that die. You have to say, that, that's not what God has for me. Loving means losing. Some of you may need to just get rid of your social media, to be honest. It's a good thing that us adults don't care what people think of us, right? Whatever our ambitions are, whatever drives us as humans, it all must be surrendered to love Jesus Christ. It all must be surrendered to his lordship. This is the demand of the kingdom. All of our money, all of our dreams, all of our careers, career, yes, our family, our happiness, everything, everything we have, we have to commit it to Jesus Christ. So I want to be really crystal clear this morning in case I misunderstood. I want to be clear what I think the text is saying, what I, I know the text is saying. If you refuse to give Jesus something, If you say, God, you can have everything except this. I won't give you this. And you continue to refuse to give that to Jesus Christ. Then you're showing where your true affections are. The Bible says that you will never enter heaven. That's not Pastor Mark's words. That's Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 10. You'll find your life, but you'll lose it. Loving means losing. You could say it this way. Either we will love Jesus and lose the world or we will love the world and lose Jesus. Either we will love Jesus and lose the world, or we will love the world and lose Jesus. There's really two alternatives. Or you could say it this way, either we allow our fleshly desires to perish, or our soul perishes. And I ask you, is that thing in your life, fill in the blank, whatever it is, is that thing worth losing your soul? I submit to you that it is not. Listen carefully to Jesus' words in Matthew 16. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? This idea is so important that in Matthew it's mentioned twice. And what many people think is a bargain in this life is going to turn out to be a complete ripoff in the life to come. You ever buy something online and you're not quite sure if it's the right product or the right part and you really can't know till it comes so you kind of take a gamble and you hope it's right? I've been there and I've lost that gamble a couple times. <laughs> 
It's one thing to gamble with a $10 windshield wiper. That's my situation, okay? Don't gamble with your soul. Don't gamble with your soul. There is nothing more valuable than your soul. It could be somebody sitting here this morning saying, that's nice preacher, I hear what you're saying. Die the right. Who is this Jesus anyway that demands this from me? I mean, what gives this guy the right to tell me you got to love me more than you love your parents. you got to love me more than you love your kids. Who is this guy? And, and who is he to say that you need to lose your life for my sake? For Jesus' sake? Like, what about my sake? And this demand of the kingdom is only appropriate because Jesus is the king. Because he is the king. Because he's God in the flesh. And Jesus says things like this all throughout the Gospels, Right? He he talks this way, and I find it really interesting that today many people would say about Jesus, I don't believe he's God, but he's a really nice guy, really great teacher, he's good with kids, real real swell kind of fellow, you know. Not the Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, because the Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, if he is not God, which he is, then he's an egotistical maniac who sounds more like a cult leader than a nice guy. Love me more than your kids? But if he is God and he is king, then he reserves the right to tell us to do things for his sake. And that's really the only motivation we need to obey. But in verse 39, Jesus gives us another reason to surrender. He says that when we lose our life, we actually find it. You might remember Jim Elliott's famous quote, right? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to, uh, to gain what he can never lose. Is that it? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Isn't that true? I think he got that from this text. I really believe that. When we give up our life, when we lose it for the sake of Christ, we, we finally understand what life is supposed to be like after all. We finally find life. We start to experience the joys and the pleasures of life as they were intended. You know, not as an end in themselves, but as a means to an end, to direct us to the Creator, to cause us to glorify God. And I came up with this illustration to hopefully help you. It made sense in my head, so I hope it makes sense to you. It'd be like a guy who decides to go on a Hawaiian vacation. So he he buys a plane ticket, to go to Hawaii. He gets on that plane. Lo and behold, they've bumped him to first class. It's the first time he's ever been in first class. He's loving it. He's like, this is awesome, you know, first class. Enjoying the food that no one else seems to get. You know, and just loving the, the plane flight. He loves it so much that he gets to Hawaii and he says, you know what, I'm just going to stay on the plane. I'm going to turn around. I'm going to come back. It's just a great flight. I mean, yeah, the bathroom's a little small, but you know, it's, it's a nice plane. Well, the man has forgotten what the purpose of a plane is intended for, right? I mean, it might be a nice plane, it might be in first class. It's still designed to get you from point A to point B, and he's totally forgotten that. If he stepped off the plane and into paradise, he would realize what he was missing. And and this is a metaphor for the way many people are living their lives. They're so enamored with the comfort, with the experience of life, they've forgotten the purpose of life altogether. It's to take us to Christ. It's to lead us to God and the creator who made this life, who gave us all the things that we experience in this life. And if we would just surrender to him, we would find that Jesus is more satisfying, 
more beautiful than you ever could imagine. Now, if you're on the fence this morning, if I'm speaking to you and you're, you're still trying to weigh this whole thing out, first of all, I encourage you, count the cost, because Jesus says, count the cost. I, I want to encourage you to do something. Find a Christian who you know has been following Jesus for a long time. You know, maybe they come to Bethel, maybe they don't. But I want you to ask them two questions. Ask them first, what are some of the things that you've surrendered to Jesus over the years? What are some of the things that you've lost for him, that you've given to him? And then after they share that, ask them a second question. Do you regret it? Do you regret it? I bet I know the answer to that second question. Because I will tell you that as I have submitted myself to Christ over the years, and he works on me, and he shows me areas that I need to relinquish to him, and I've given those up, I got a good deal. I really did, because when you have Jesus, you have everything. And so just, just talk to Christians. Ask them. The motivation for losing is that we will find. But one other motivation I want you to consider before I wrap up is the example of Jesus Christ. He, he is the supreme ex example of loving and losing, right? Think about Jesus. He loved and he lost his life. And Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to forgo his rightful place in heaven, right? Come down to earth, live this life, and die on a cruel cross in our place to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And I remind you that Jesus it wasn't just a physical agony. So as you think about that road lined with crosses, we are, are, it's, it's almost, it's impossible for us to imagine. But Jesus experienced the weight of my sin and your sin and every other person's sin who trusts in Jesus Christ. He went through all of that. How could he do that? Why would he do this? Jesus did this to restore what was broken. Because God created us to be in a relationship with him. And Adam and Eve, they had that relationship. And they decided to sin and rebel against God. And the moment that they did that, everything became broken. And yes, there's still a lot of beauty in the world, but it's all flawed because of sin. Jesus knew that the only remedy was to become human, to become the remedy, to come to earth, live a perfect life, and die in the cross in our place so that when we trust in Jesus Christ and we ask for forgiveness, we we, our sin is placed on Jesus and his righteousness is placed on us. That's the great exchange. That's why Jesus did it. Loving means losing. Matthew 10 says explicitly that if we refuse to lose our life, we're not worthy of the one who gave his life for us. Did you notice this phrase in the text, not worthy? Worthy. That kind of jumped out at me when I was studying it. You know, three times, not worthy, not worthy. I started to wonder, what is this word? And the meaning of the word has the idea of scales, okay? So it's the idea of equilibrium or bringing into equal, okay? So, so here's what the text is saying. The text is saying, here's God. He's supremely worthy, supremely holy, completely perfect. Here's us. There is no way that we could become worthy. There is no way that we could do enough good stuff. There is no way that we could possibly bring ourselves into equilibrium with Jesus Christ. How do we become worthy of Jesus Christ? There's so many people who are trying so hard to get there. You know, if I, if I just do a little more, if I, if I just 
go to church a little bit more, if I just try to kick this bad habit, you know, maybe I'll be worthy enough to enter heaven. And then there's other people who, who don't even care about the scales at all. You know, I don't even know if there's a God. I'm just going to figure out my life. I'm just going to find my life. And then they lose it. Neither approach is going to work. The only way to be worthy of Jesus is to identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. To surrender to his plan, to his way. And this is called, in other places of Scripture, repentance. I ask you this morning... Do you love Jesus enough to lose? Do you love Jesus enough to lose? The Apostle Paul did. Philippians 3, 8, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. I leave you with two quotes from an excellent book written by a man who actually did give up his life for Christ. A guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who wrote a book, The Cost of Discipleship. And this is what Bonhoeffer said. He says, only the man who follows the command of Jesus single-mindedly and unresistingly lets his yoke rest upon him finds his burden easy and under its gentle pressure receives the power to persevere in the right way. The command of Jesus is hard, unutterably hard for those who try to resist it. But for those who willingly submit, the yoke is easy and the burden is light. He also said this, if you believe, take the first step. It leads to Jesus Christ. If you don't believe, take the first step all the same, for you are bidden to take it.